Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. I want to talk, I've been talking about, last week I started with, don't die with your quiver full. So just a quick recap, I would encourage you to go back and watch it, it's available online. But we looked at the truth that generations of Christians, we are the arrows of the Lord to our world and each arrow needs to be sharpened and straightened and balanced um, to be a better weapon against the enemy of our souls and we don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not fighting people, we're fighting the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world, not the people. We want to rescue people but fight the enemy so we need to prepare our hearts for our, our own protection, but also to protect those we love and lead. And, and as arrows, there's also all these special abilities. And I shared a, a quick example how I've watched a, a, a very good professional type archer, not a target archer, but a hunter, and he would have um, feather flights, not plastic flights, and nothing wrong with those, but he would know how much of a flight, one flight he'd tear a bit off it, and that would make the arrow curve a particular level. And just knowing how to make the arrow do what it needs to do. Well, we, if we surrender to God, uh, then he will shape us to be the most effective we can be to set as many people free from the enemy as possible. So it's uh, presenting our lives to him. So we looked at Romans 12, 6, where it says, We all have different gifts that God has given to us by his loving favour, and we are to use them. And the challenge we had was, okay, God, how can I be the best arrow? How can I use my gifts and my talents? And, and, you know, truthfully, our gifts, talents, and abilities are also our arrows to shoot, and we, we can use them, and they're a gift of his loving favour. Everyone, is, everyone has been given gifts. You know, the grace of God is, is, in Romans it talks about God giving everyone gifts, not just Christians, everyone. Everyone has gifts and abilities that God has given them. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit giving Christians other gifts. And it talks about Christ giving gifts to the church, which are your lead, the leadership, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But everyone has gifts. And we looked at the fact that we all have choice. God gave us free will. So we have choices about what to do with our abilities and talents. We can use them for God. We can use them for what we think is good, but not necessarily God. Uh, We can use them for evil. We can use them for self. Or we cannot use them at all. And Jesus addressed most of these. Uh, We looked at the lazy servant in the parable of the talents. And the lazy servant was not compared to the other servants. Listen, he was not compared. So we've got to be careful not to compare what God has called us to do with someone else. If God hasn't called you to do that, then don't judge yourself for not doing what you're not called to. I am not going to play a keyboard. I love what people can do with a keyboard. I love, I mean, I love what people do with instruments. I love listening to vocals that are great. I'm, I'm just one that God has written a special verse for, which is make a joyful noise unto the Lord and pretend. And then, then I'm going to, like we sang in the song, I'm going to dance, I'm going to jump, I'm going to sing, I'm going to cry out to God. I mean, my, my ability is to be weird. And I'm happy for that. And uh, please don't judge me. My only person who's allowed to do that is my wife can correct me when I get the lyrics wrong and when I get the melody wrong. You know, but other than that, not your job. <laughs> I release you from that. So, so use, don't judge by comparing. 
This lazy servant was held accountable for what he did with his gift. Not comparing to anyone else, we will be accountable for how we use what we have. And so in that sense, he did not use it at all. We looked at the rich farmer who built bigger barns and he used his business ability to make good profit only for himself and not to be a blessing that he was called to be. We looked at people who used their God-given abilities. Predominantly, we looked at singers who, who, who grew up singing and learning to sing publicly in the church who went into the world. People like Elvis Presley and others in that journey. And we go, God, and actors who, who could have been something great for God, who've turned their back on God, and they've used their gift and ability for themselves and for evil. We, we touched on um, the, the whole problem that people have. by They have a gift and they want to use it wrong or for godly, ungodly gain. And then we looked at Paul and how Paul used the gifts and callings of God upon his life. Yes, he opposed the church initially, but God broke through into his life. And, and pretty, pretty much in his valedictory speech, at the end of his life, he says this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And it goes on to say, he says, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. There's a reward for using all that I have, entering my quiver of its arrows in the service of the Lord. There is a reward for me and not only me, but for all who use their abilities for the Lord. The challenge is that we are each personally accountable to identify, discover, develop, and use our abilities for the kingdom of God. So moving on from last week, I want to ask the question, why don't Christians use all that they are and all that they have for God? Now, please, I'm not calling people to just be full-time preachers. That's not what you're called to. Your call might be business and to make money. Your call might be to actually be a brilliant parent that is an example to others. Your call might be to be a doctor or whatever. It's what are you called to and how can you use your gifts and talents for the glory of God? And the answer is why don't they do it? It's the same reason all people generally don't reach their potential. We looked at last week how graves are full of people who never reach their potential. Dreams unrealized, some unattempted. The regrets that people have, not for failing, but for not trying, having a go. So the four things that tend to hold us back is shame and guilt and blaming others for the past and fear of the future. Living what was and trying to live in fear of what might be and not living now. See, God is a God of the now. He, 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 yes, he's the same yesterday, today and forever, but God is now. And we need a relationship with God now. And we need to realise that we don't want to hinder what God has in us by, the, by hanging on to the past. See, and I'll probably develop these three later at another message. But blame is a chain that ties us to the failures of the past. 
And it does that by us directing our personal responsibility to something or someone else. The circumstance, that person, you know, it's a ball and chain that ties us to the past and holds us back or at least slows us down. It hinders us because we should take responsibility of our life and let it go. Shame is a self, probably an acronym that explains it. Self-hatred at my own expense. Self-hatred at my own expense. Guilt is that self-conscious emotion committed to rehashing normally negative past experiences that we haven't repaired or been released from. And we normally do that by the process of forgiveness. And I'll address those three later, but I don't want to spend today on the fear of the future. See, often we stop going forward because we think what we have to give up is so much. We think we have too much to lose. Jesus shared, shared, we have the account of Jesus talking to the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler, Jesus says, sell it all, come follow me. But he was grieved in his heart. Now he's grieved because he, he knows he should sell it all and follow Jesus. But he knows he's going to choose to keep it all. There is so much to lose. At that point, Jesus tells the disciples, it's pretty hard for people who are in love with their wealth to follow God. You've got to transfer your love from that to him. And and people think we have so much to lose. You know, if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to lose all of this. God is going to rob me of joy. I'm not going to have fun anymore. And we start to believe lies about the goodness of God and we pay attention to them. Sure, there's a challenge. Hebrews says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Here's the challenge. We must believe that God has better for us than anything we give up following and serving him. See, there is no way we will take that kind of risk if we believe that the benefits don't outweigh the cost. There's no way we will do it if we don't believe that that, that God has our best interest at heart. Paul, the Hebrew writer, talks like this. He says to the church, you had compassion on me and my chains. It's likely that this is about Paul. We're not sure. And joyfully accepted the plundering, listen, the plundering of your goods, losing stuff. You joyfully accepted the loss knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward, but you need endurance. Thanks, God. I wish, I wish we didn't have to. I wish we could go and have it all. But no, you need endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. So we have an assurance that God in Christ, Christ is coming back. 
It's an assured reality and with him is the reward. And there's a challenge for us to follow. And it goes on and sadly it says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. See, the writer of Hebrews is confirming to us that the benefits far outweigh the cost and the confidence that this is the truth. A great and enduring reward will come, but it requires endurance. So even when it looks like you're losing it all, see, the endurance is the most challenging part of the journey. As Hebrews 11 identifies in the chapter of the heroes of faith, it finishes with a whole bunch of heroes who did not receive the reward in this life. They died. They suffered. They ran about in caves and sheepskins and cut in half. And, you know, they were tortured and imprisoned. And, and you know what? They trusted God that the eternal reward is worth whatever it costs now. If I empty my quiver in the service of the Lord, my life will be full. How can I do that? Well, well, as we mentioned with communion, Hebrews says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easy ensnares and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, remembering Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy... That was set before him, not the joy of dying on a cross, not the joy of losing it all in this life, the joy of what was yet to be revealed. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, says it again, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." You've not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. So no one is denying that it gets tough to follow the Lord. No one is saying you won't become weary or discouraged at times. And especially if we focus on how our life might seem in the now, how we might get accused or attacked or ridiculed for our faith in Jesus, how people might run us down, how people might speak about us. Sometimes it seems like faith is empty and there's no present benefit. And it actually may be that there is no present benefit. That second half of Hebrews 11, there was no present natural benefit, definitely a spiritual benefit, but no present natural benefit. There is always a spiritual benefit that produces in us a more Christ-like life if we allow it to. That's why it says consider him and what he went through. You know, all the disciples initially saw Jesus going to the cross from a human perspective. They were discouraged. They were disappointed. Their dreams and hopes were dashed. You look at the encounter on the road to Emmaus. Here we have these disciples, two of them walking, and they're they're talking about the problems and, and what's happened today 
yesterday. And Jesus comes up beside them and they're talking in grief. And Jesus goes, don't you understand what the scriptures have said? See, these guys had invested their whole lives into following Jesus and he's dead. Everything is lost. How much did they invest it? Well, Matthew 19, 27, Peter says it like this. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? I wonder what Peter thought of that comment before the resurrection. What have we got for everything we gave up? What have we got for the sacrifices? What have we got for the ridicule? What have we got for the pain? What have we got for the suffering? And it's a good question. What shall we have? See, it's this fear of losing it all. What shall we have if we give our whole life to serve the Lord? For the disciples, it looked like nothing immediately after the crucifixion. But here we are 2,000 rough odd years later. And millions, even billions are following Jesus as reported by these people. Not just the men, but these people, these disciples of Jesus and the way they lived. See, their lives were changed not only after the resurrection, but also with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus walked with them for about 40 days after the resurrection. And then for 10 days, they obeyed and prayed and waited for the promise of the Father, the infilling or baptism in the Holy Spirit. Their boldness did not come after the resurrection. Listen, their boldness did not come after the resurrection. Joy came because Jesus was alive. Our hopes are stirred again. God, Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Are all our hopes and dreams going to come to pass again? Well, actually, boys, no, I'm leaving. What? So their joy goes back to sorrow. But at least that sorrow had a hope because Jesus promised that the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit would come and be in them. Wow. And so for 10 days... Though their joy in Jesus' life, being alive, was restored. Ten days later, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. The change came that day. They had power now to reach their potential. The Bible says power to reach their potential. And, and they stopped hiding. They stopped being secluded. They became bold and passionate and public about their faith in Jesus. And this was not meant to be a once-off because we read, and they were filled again when they all prayed and they got together rejoicing at what God had done when they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What a great example to lose even more when you start following Jesus after you think you've already given it all up. This is meant to be a continuing development by a disciplining and diligent pursuit of a life filled with him by giving up the life this world has to offer. And the Bible says if you lose your life for his sake, you will gain life. 
If you try and hold it, you will lose it. So I want to live in the promise of what is available and I'm willing to let go of everything that the world offers to follow him. I got, I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to shoot every arrow I have. And if I'm expended when I die, I will be happy. God, I gave everything I had. I left it all on the field is the footy term. I'm not going to, you don't want to slow down to get to the finish line. You want to go through that tape at full speed. You watch a sprinter. He's not slowing down until after he finishes running through the tape. God, I want to shoot every arrow. I want to empty my life to fill it with you. Let me read to you one of my, probably one of my most, this is one of my favourite passages of Scripture for Christian living. 2 Peter 1, 1 to 11. Let me read it to you. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a like, listen, precious faith. Precious faith. Not my precious, a precious faith. With us by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Well, I need that in the storms of life. Let it be multiplied to you in the knowledge, that's revelation knowledge of God and of our Lord, of of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power, because we've given up everything, has given to us all things that we need to life and godliness through the knowledge, that revelation, that intimate knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Yeah, I want to live like that. How do I get that? But also for this reason, giving all diligence. That's a challenging verse. Add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and is forgotten. I'm going to remember, hey Jeff, he had forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. We've forgotten the love that was demonstrated to us on a cross. We've forgotten it was God who loves us and has our best interest at heart. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your election and calling sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. For this reason... I will not be negligent to remind you. I like this passage because it gives the preacher a chance to preach it again and again and again and again and again because I need it again and again. That's why we have communion again and again because sometimes we forget. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. I wonder how we would take if the preacher preached the same message every week. I wonder, would we still learn? I, I, I've done the Alpha course for so many times that every time I do it with people, I see something new. Anyway, though you know and are established in the present, so even though you do know it, then he goes, yes, I think it's right that as long as I'm in the tent to stir you up by reminding you. Come on, Pete, you've already told us you're reminding us and now you're telling us you're going to remind us again. 
knowing that shortly I must put off this tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to do what? This is scary. This careful to do what? That you all ensure that you always have a reminder. Remind, reminding you, have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter says, look, I'm going to go. Like a valedictory speech like Paul. But Peter is more focused on the fact that he wants to make sure we remember. That we remember that no matter what we give up for Christ, there is an exceeding great reward. There is better for us when we give it all for him. Now, I could develop that whole passage and, and I probably will again and again in the years that pass. But I want to focus on one point here. And I'd love the musicians and singers to come. I want to focus on that first verse. And the first half of that first verse. And there's a reason for that. Listen to this. 2 Peter 1, 1. Um, Simon Peter... A bondservant. See, Peter's first identification is not apostle. He's not identifying himself as someone important. His first identifying factor is a bondservant. Deuteronomy tells me what that is in 15, 12 to 17. It says this, If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you, In other words, they've got themselves in so much debt, they can't pay it. And so they sell themselves to you. You take them and their debt and they're yours. And serve you six years. In the seventh year, you must let them go free. Wow. Wow. If you get yourself in that kind of trouble in the Jewish culture, six years, you would know you're free. It's pretty much where we get some of our bankruptcy laws from. Six years, you'll be free, but it's better than our bankruptcy laws. Because listen to this, when you release them, don't send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock your threshing floor and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. How challenging is that? In other words, they serve you to pay their debt, but then you set them free with abundance. Wouldn't it be nice if, if someone went bankrupt and after bankruptcy they come out of their time and they get a check for $500,000 to start again? No, not now our law says you've done your time, you get out with nothing. Or just the bare necessities. But for the Jewish people, God's principle is generosity. This is not about tithes and offerings. This is about God's people learning to live generously. Give them. And he says, why? Remember. It's amazing, Jeff, how the the message tight. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command. Then it goes on. And this is the amazing parallel for us, church. See, God in Christ on the cross paid the price for the sin of humanity. 
and we're set free. What will we do with that freedom? But if your servant says to you, I know I'm free, but I don't want to leave you. I know I'm free. I don't want to leave you. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sensing the Spirit of God powerfully right now because He loves you and your family is well off with you because of Him. Then you'll take an awl and push it through His earlobe into the door and He will become your servant for life, your bond servant. Here we see that the slave servant has, has all his debt paid and is actually now wealthy. He's, been, he's got flocks, wine, grain. He's got provision. He's got abundance. But he says, I don't want to leave you. I love you. You have my best interest and my family's best interest at heart. I want to commit my life and everything I have and all that I am to you. And because of love, they now want to serve without pay, just to be privileged to live in the house. In fact, giving everything they earned, everything they'd been given back to the Master. This is where they recognise that their fullest potential is only ever going to be realised in the Master's house. And they have willingly given it all up and all back to the Master. Every talent, every ability, every skill, every provision. They've given up, verse 14, liberally flocks and threshing floor and wine press. They gave it all. They emptied their quiver, gave it all back to the one they loved, the one who showed amazing love to them. And they were so moved that they didn't want freedom to be free to do what they like. They want freedom to live in His house. They wanted freedom to serve Him, work for Him. The one who loved them and made their life and their family have a hope, a willing surrender. They're quiverful to the service of the Lord. Peter said it, I am by love choosing to be a willing servant of Jesus. And I am confident that my fullest life will be found in diligently serving Him with all that I am and all that I have. I will empty the quiver of my life in loving service to my God, to Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach the potential God ordained for us to have and to have our best, our best life. Church, that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God and the call of God upon our hearts and our lives. Will we empty it all for Him? Do we know and do we trust, and this will be part three, do we trust that God loves us enough that we will always be better off giving up our life and receiving His life?
If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, all I can say is there is no better one to serve. And you will serve someone. You will serve the devil. You'll serve your flesh. Or you can serve Jesus. I did that when I was 19 after years of rebellion against God. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. You have a better life than I can ever imagine or understand. I see little by little as I grow day by day. Little by little, I see more and more of your grace, your mercy and your love. If you don't know Jesus, I honestly, I feel deeply for you. My heart is moved that you should know him. You should know the one who loves you so much. He hung on a cross and paid your debt. Yes, you're free from sin if you want to be. But don't use your freedom for an occasion that will bring you in a, in a snare again, that will trap you again. Use your freedom to serve the one who loves you. If you want to accept Christ as your Lord, it does take repentance. To say, like I did, God, I'm sorry. I receive Jesus as Lord of my life. Can we pray? Father, right now, for those in this place who may not know you, or those who walk close but have drifted away, but they would remember, like the prodigal, in my father's house. In my father's house is so much more, so so much better. Lord, people have taught, told people lies about you and your nature. You don't condemn. You redeem. You forgive. You make whole. You give hope. And if you want to receive Christ, just pray quietly right now. Just say to yourself, Father, say to him, Heavenly Father, please forgive me. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Saviour. Help me to know. Give a revelation to my life that my best life will be lived in serving you. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says God's heart's open to you and He has already forgiven you. And I would strongly encourage you, tell someone, let us know by filling out a form in the foyer. Christians, Are we afraid of the future? Well, I'm going to commit my life to the one who loves me best. The one who knows all my failures, all my flaws, all my weaknesses. Because my best life for me and for my family is when I serve Him with all that I am and all that I have. Father, let your blessing rest upon your people. Let there come a confidence Lord, a love that casts out fear, that, Lord, giving it up all for you will bring a great return. It will be our best life, both here and now and forever. Move on our hearts today. If you really just want to say, God, that's me, just stand where you are right now. I'm still in an attitude of prayer. Come on, stand where you are. Lord, I'm standing before these people. Oh, I fall short so many times. I fail so often. But your mercy, your grace, your kindness and your love overshadows me. And I believe that you have my best future ahead. In Jesus' name. 
and I can show the world that love. Let your light shine in me.